And you're listening to The Green Majority here at CIUT 89.5 FM, live in Toronto or possibly on one of our wonderful community syndicates from coast to coast. We have an action-packed show this week, absolutely no doubt about it. We have the legendary Tim Nash, of course, who is the uh, sustainable economist and correspondent now, regular correspondent with The Green Majority, going to be chiming in in just a moment right at the beginning of the show uh, about some uh, recent goings-on, what's going on with the green economy and investment world, and, and really the, uh, the, the, part of the, the, the part of the environment that I think is not talked, of, uh, talked about enough um, in some circles and talked about far too much in others. But uh, Tim Nash is here to balance us out on that. So the Sustainable Economist coming up in just a moment. But right after our first music break, we'll also have live in studio this week, TVO's The Wather Brothers. That's right, Alex and Tyler Mifflin will be joining us live in studio uh, to talk about their award-winning now TVO series, The Water Brothers, as well after that break. And then right as, at the end of the show, as usual, uh, Kevin Farmer will be joining us with a couple of comments. I also have a couple of comments this week so a little bit of punditry as usual at the end of the show stay tuned for that but without further ado i believe i already have tim nash on the the line are you there tim yeah i'm here can you hear me loud and clear absolutely thank you so much for joining us once again and uh we have so much action packed today i I will not give you a 10 minute interruption i'm going to throw right to you what do you have for us (laughs) uh sure so i guess uh the the big goings on in the world from my perspective right now uh relate to the growing divestment movement from fossil fuels. Uh, so this has been uh, certainly a big part of my world. Uh, about two weeks ago, I was in Montreal for the Canadian Youth Climate Coalition held uh, uh, a series of workshops, and they called it a uh, Convergence for all of the different student groups from universities across the country who are campaigning to get their university endowments to divest from fossil fuels. It was a really great event, uh, sort of packed. It, it's always nice when I'm presenting to students because there, there tends to be sort of a bit more, uh, you know, certainly a really high energy and a real eagerness to learn. And it was a really wonderful opportunity to be able to talk about the growing divestment movement that I think is really starting to shake things up in, in the investment community. There's certainly uh, having some success at getting this issue out there in the world. And, uh, and, and for me, it's really exciting to get people to start thinking about the impact of their investments and specifically how they relate to climate change. There's, um, uh, you know, we've we've spoken before about how sort of the um, the finance side of it is 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 somewhat sort of a, a less sexy side, uh, if you will. But you've but you've been talking, uh, spending quite a bit of time recently. You obviously you, you teach a class. You you have an opportunity to speak to a range of ages of people on this topic. Yeah. Would would you say that that sort of um, interest or awareness or 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 anything to that sort of degree has been raising with younger audiences because of maybe these divestment conversations? Yeah, I think for sure. I mean, I think that uh, generally getting getting folks to um, uh, getting folks to consider their investments is, is always a tricky issue. Um, but then to, to to do it from the perspective of their uh, of their morals and looking at the impact on climate change is even harder. So the fact that uh, the universities are have really stepped up their game and are able to, um, the, the student groups are actively having this conversation, for me is very, very encouraging. Um, I would say that the other, the other community that I think has really been picking up this issue is the religious community. Uh, so I'm actually getting ready for a talk tomorrow 
um, in Toronto at the uh, East Minister Church on the Danforth, and they're holding um, an entire sort of day-long workshop on divestment and ethical reinvestment. So that's happening from from uh, one to three p.m. If uh, if people in the in the city are interested in attending that, so for me, those are the two groups that I think are really picking up the, the picking up this issue and running with it. We've got young. Uh, sort of energetic students who are really doing it from the perspective that this is their future and this is the world that they're going to be graduating into and that they are going to be living in. And then at the same time, we've got the uh, religious communities who, you know, tend to be an older demographic and who tend to be coming at it much more from that ethical or that moral perspective. Uh, do, uh, would you just comment a little bit further about sort of that that part of it? Because a lot of the a lot of the time, I, I think whether it's true or not, we sort of assume that those are, um, as uh, Jared Diamond put it, non-overlapping magisteria. In that, <laughs> in that the concept of sort of like you know finance and morals are are, are things that sort of that almost don't get discussed in the same sentence. Is, is that changing, or am I wrong? Or, or well, you know, there's, there's a real history of it, right? So I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term uh, usury. Usury. Um, but this is sort of a, a fairly old idea, and in religious circles for a long time, and this is kind of you know back to the days, uh, sort of uh, when when the uh, religious communities had a lot of power in Europe, and this was the idea that charging excessive interest rates and earning excessive profits on your investment was simply immoral; that it was simply wrong, and in fact, this is something that comes up in biblical texts. Uh, in, in the Muslim faith, there's the whole idea of um, that, that they are simply not allowed to charge interest. So Sharia in Sharia finance, uh, folks aren't allowed to buy bonds because the idea of loaning someone and charging interest and profiting from that was considered immoral. Um, that it was, you know, people's duty to be able to help each other out. If your neighbor needed a loan to be able to get through, um, then you would loan them that money and you would not expect the interest on top of that. So I would say that it used to be really tied, the idea of finance and religion, and, and we're actually really quite connected. And then it was really, it's been sort of more in recent days, and, you know, with, with all the trading and, and with a lot of innovation in the stock market where they really became disconnected. Uh, I certainly argue that it was the creation of game theory and a lot of that, those theories which which kind of assume that sort of the rational individual will act without morals and will actually purposefully um, uh, uh, sort of cheat and steal in order to get higher profits. And that really took us away from this connection between morals and, and or ethics and, and finance. And now I think we're starting to see a bit of a return to those roots where folks who do have ethics and who do consider themselves to be responsible stewards are starting to say, hey, wait a minute, um, this is actually really important. And if I'm considering my religion in all other aspects of my life, then I should consider my religion when it comes to my investment portfolio as well. Hmm. So um, we've just got a couple of minutes left, Tim, and, sure. and I know we've spoken about this before, but it's it's because divestment is is very much sort of um, gaining a lot of traction right now. Is it, it regardless of people's opinion about it, people are talking about it. Yeah, uh, exactly. And there's sort of one sticky point on there which I feel uh, doesn't sort of get flushed out very well frequently. 
Okay. And so I wanted to, I know, even though I know we've spoken about this before, I wanted to ask you to do it once again, which was, can you just sort of walk us through the actual mechanism? Because people will say, well, divesting doesn't make, do any difference because if you sell it, someone else buys it. So can you just sort of right. run us through the short version of what is the strategy with divestment? How is, how is that supposed to actually achieve the ends that we're looking for? Sure. So there are two main uh, uh, sort of ways that divestment helps us build uh, a low-carbon future. The first is purely psychological. So from a purely psychological perspective, it comes down to this notion of denormalization of the fossil fuel industry, right? And so in terms of, of re- making people realize that, you know what, this, this isn't a normal thing, this is something that's a little bit extraordinary, it really uh, allows us to kind of have it under attack. And this was very similar with the, the approach that divestment took uh, for apartheid in South Africa, where it didn't necessarily have, you know, a, this massive tangible impact um, but, uh, on, on the economy. But what it did say was a very clear line in the sand saying this is not acceptable. Uh, the second way, and this is where it gets a little bit trickier, I'd have to get into some deeper analytics to, to communicate it more effectively, but it does have an economic impact in the sense of the invisible hand of the market. And the invisible hand, obviously, it's tough to see and it's tough to measure, but it does come down to this idea of supply and demand. And just as we saw demand for things like fair trade coffee increase, and what that'll do is have an effect because now all of a sudden companies who produce fair trade coffee uh, see their revenues grow, see their market share grow. In the same way, as more people, and especially this is where the bigger pools, when the university endowments do it, and if we had pension funds doing it, then all of a sudden it's going to shift that, it's going to move that needle, and the invisible hand is really going to take hold. Um, and what's going to happen there is that com- fossil fuel companies are going to have a harder time raising money. And we've already started to see this in the mining sector, and not so much for ethical reasons, probably more for sort of sheer economic reasons, but we've seen the share prices of mining companies fall drastically over the past three years, with many companies losing about half of their share price. And what this does is it makes it so much harder for those companies to raise money, to raise capital, and expand their operations. So companies that are worth a lot, you know, if you take Apple, for example, which has a large market cap right now, it's so easy for them to raise money because they have such a high market value. You know, a lot of investors want to give them money and are happy to support them and allow them to grow their operations. But with, you know, coal companies specifically right now, what we're seeing is that because of the lower share prices and because of the lower demand for their financial instruments, we're seeing them having a much harder time accessing capital in the market. And that means that they're not getting the money to build a new mine. That means that they're not getting the money to to do more exploration. That means they're not getting the money to expand their operations. And so obviously from a climate change perspective, that's a huge win for us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us again uh, this time around. Again, that was uh, Tim Nash, the sustainable economist and fellow uh, CSIR. Uh, Tim, do you want to just quickly uh, uh, plug your website yeah, and stuff? My, sure. Uh, so my website is sustainableeconomist.com. I'll be at Eastminster Church tomorrow, and then as well I'll be appearing on Sunday at the Eco Fair at the Witchwood Barn. Um, and that looks like a great event put on by uh, uh, Green Neighbors and a wonderful organization. And I hope to see a lot of friendly faces there. 
Absolutely. And if uh, anybody missed that, of course, we now have a, a correspondent section on the radio homepage as well, where we've listed a little short bio about Tim. You can uh, see his superhero costume as well. And, th- and that also has <laughs> links to uh, both emailing Tim and to his website as well. So thanks for joining us once again, Tim Nash. My pleasure. Thanks so much. You guys have a great day. Thanks so much, you too. And uh, we're going to go to our first music break here on The Green Majority. You're listening live, possibly at CIUT in Toronto or through one of our wonderful community radio podcaster, uh, uh, radio syndicates. And then now we're also back on iTunes, SoundCloud. Woo! And Stefan stuck into the studio. I Good did. morning, Stefan. Good morning. All right. We'll be right back after this music break. The Green Majority is now looking for members. If you want to help contribute to the content of the show and can spare as little as a dollar a month or more, head over to the greenmajority.ca website and look for the Support Us button to get involved. Back here on the Green Majority at CIUT 89.5 FM, live in studio, which is a rarity in unto itself, even uh, more so that I haven't seen you guys in quite a while. Alex and Tyler Mifflin, the Water Brothers from TVO, welcome to the uh, Green Majority here at CIUT. It's good to be back. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I'm just remembering, I think actually the last time I saw you, um, you guys came and helped out with our fundraising drive, if I'm not mistaken. We did, yeah. That was cool. That was like a year ago, though, I think. Mm-hmm. It's been a while. This will be, your, I think, your third trip in to see us here. Uh, and if I remember correctly, we spoke to you the first time right after the first season had come out. I think you were still sort of promoting your first season. Um, so f- let's start off by just congratulating you on on making it this far. You're now an award-winning show. You're on your third season. Uh, congratulations, guys. Well done. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's, you know, if they keep asking us to make more episodes, we're going to do it. <laughs> go ahead, travel the world. Okay, yeah. And there's uh, <laughs> unfortunately no shortage of uh, water stories and yeah. water issues to look at. So. It's sort of yeah, a blessing and a curse at the same time, isn't e- exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. So just for a quick primer for, for those uh, for those listeners who maybe are not uh, somehow yet familiar whatsoever uh, with you guys, uh, your actual brothers, 
It's not just a clever title. Um, and um, you've been uh, basically uh, traveling the world studying water issues. And I think the really the, the interesting thing, particularly for me, um, about the whole project was that this is very much your guys' project. You you sort of weren't, this wasn't sort of a show that was designed and then you guys are actors that were sort of hired to play the host, but this is very much your project. You guys shoot it yourselves, you do much of the production and, and story writing. I, there is a few other people uh, on the site that, that help you out with uh, production and story and some of that stuff. But this is very much your guys' thing. Um, so maybe we, could we just start there and, and we'll, we'll get into s- to the uh, the upcoming season in a moment. But just, just run us through for, for people that maybe aren't familiar with you about this whole project yeah we definitely were not actors it's funny when we <laughs> look back at some of the episodes in the first uh, first season seeing us are on camera uh sort of segments where uh, could use some improvement we've come a long way yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no that's true it's uh it definitely alex and i created the show sort of a couple about a year or two after we both graduated university um i studied film production at ubc out in vancouver and al did uh international development and uh interna- uh, sorry, environmental studies and science at uh, Dalhousie in Halifax. So, sort of after we graduated, we both uh, came back to Toronto and started working for a film production company called SK Films. And they do natural history, IMAX, 3D films, uh, all educational, science oriented. And so, we got an amazing opportunity to do some location scouting uh, for a, a film that they were developing. It's about five years ago now called Flood of the Butterflies. So, we went down to Mexico uh, to the mountains of Michoacan where the monarch butterflies sort of overwinter. Uh, and we did some location scouting getting there and uh, put together this sort of promo piece to help raise money for the, the IMAX film. And we worked really well together as a team. And so after that project sort of got going, we started working on another one, which is all about sustainability. It was going to be an IMAX series. Um, but it sort of turned out it was going to be really hard to raise the money for that project. Uh, and so we, but we had all this research, we had all these great ideas. And so we were encouraged, hey, why don't you guys keep going with it, but turn the cameras on yourselves. Uh, and you guys sort of host it and, you know, take us on this adventure and let's learn about these issues. Uh, and so that's sort of how it started. We, it was never that we wanted to be, hey, look, we want to be on TV. We want to, you know, be, you know, hosts of a show. It was really we wanted to um, tell these important environmental stories and, and, and make it fun and engaging for, for everyone, but it's particularly youth and, uh, you know, teenagers. I, I think right from the beginning, it was just all about there was we wanted to do a, documentaries or make films about environmental issues that we were really passionate about. And uh, water was just the, the clear connecting element in, in all the different stories we wanted to tell. And that by choosing the subject of water, we'd have this clear focus, but it would also give us a lot of freedom to talk about all these different issues that, uh, that were important to us. So we've uh, you've got two seasons under your belt. You're you're working on right now finishing up season three. Do you want to? Can you prime a little bit? What are we looking forward to with this now upcoming season? Well, season three, yeah, we really went to some amazing places. Uh, we shot two episodes um, at a place called Cocos Island, uh, which is a, a remote island off the west coast of Costa Rica in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Uh, it's connected to Galapagos uh, with a lot of the underwater species that migrate between there. And so part of the story we were trying to tell is is the the wonder of this place called Cocos Island and and the amazing like schools of hammerheads you know uh, like hundreds and hundreds of them at a time if you've ever seen images of uh, like that of these giant schools of hammerheads a lot uh, most times it's t- uh, filmed at Cocos so that's what attracted us there but also the story of these mi- migrating animals and then when you leave these protected areas like Cocos or Galapagos uh, these animals are vulnerable to fishing pressure so not only is it really hard to enforce uh, fishing regulations in these really remote islands that attract all sorts of marine life. But the problem is that 
we don't have corridors. That idea of having wildlife corridors that we've started to do on land, we've just started to realize that. But at this, we're forgetting that the ocean, it's even more interconnected and there's all these complex connections. So that was that episode, uh, uh, two episodes on Cocos Island, talking about how sharks and turtles are moving between them. And we actually helped uh, with, with a team of scientists. We went there and we were uh, tagging sharks and turtles ourselves uh, w- w- with them, filming them doing it mostly. But So there was that and then there's a whole bunch of other episodes, seven episodes total. We did one um, on ocean acidification, one on the Jordan River, which flows through uh, Israel, Palestine, and Jordan. And um, talking about the, the pollution in the river and how it's tied to religion. And so, um, and then we also did, uh, and well, the tie, why don't yeah. you finish this off? <laughs> we we did a really fun episode uh, called uh, The Least Deadliest Catch, and that's sort of looking at the issue of overfishing, but taking more of a, a fun, positive approach instead of saying, hey, you know, bottom trawling or all these methods of fishing are bad and don't do this and don't do that. We said, hey, you know what, let's take a positive approach and let's go. Let's go hang out and see what fishermen are doing that is good. There's these sustainable fishing methods. So we went out and we went, uh, you know, shrimp trapping in uh, Chetabuktu Bay in uh, Nova Scotia. We went out with some bottom long line fishermen. Uh, and we went, actually, one of the really cool things we did, we went to this, uh, hung out with this fisherman called Brent Smith out in um, Long Island Sound. And Connecticut. Was, yeah, yeah, Connecticut. And uh, he does this thing called 3D farming, um, which is basically using the whole water column and growing uh, restorative species. So he's growing kelp, he's growing different types of seaweed, he's growing mussels, scallops, um, and all. he's able to grow all this food and it doesn't require any inputs. There's no... there's no fertilizers. There's no feed. It's all these um, these species are just taking nutrients that are naturally found in the water. And uh, he uses the whole water column, and he's just totally – it's really innovative way of creating food. And it was quite a fun experience to see how he's doing that. Yeah, so the, those are those are just a few few, few of the episodes that, that we'll be doing in this season. So, yeah. But I really think actually one of the coolest ones that we did was uh, – it's called Water in Space. And we actually were working with <laughs> NASA uh, for this episode uh, looking at – how water really is the driving force behind one of the driving forces behind space exploration. Um, maybe the listeners might know, but one of natu- uh, NASA's mantras is "follow the water." Um, mm-hmm. So, in terms of looking for life uh, and new planets, it's it's a lot. It's really tied to looking for water because um, you know life as we know it on this planet is is based you know requires water. So, if we're going to look try and find life in distant planets or moons. We're thinking it's you're going to have to have water. So, and then also looking at how water is vital to everything NASA does in terms of whether it's launching a rocket into space or keeping astronauts alive uh, on the uh, International Space Station. We actually uh, got a chance to test out the uh, water recovery system, which is how they recycle water on board the International International Space Station. So we basically peed into a bucket, uh, gave it to the scientists, and they uh, ran it through this machine. And about two hours later, we ended up drinking uh, water, uh, the water that was recovered from our in two hours. Yeah. Well, it was also the, the, some of the scientists we were with peed in the bucket, too. So it was a whole little concoction that we all shared together. <laughs> I'm, and, I'm envisioning uh, that movie, the terrible movie Waterworld now. He's got his little hand crank thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is, this is like the ultra-sophisticated water purification system, wastewater recycling system. But what was also really great about that episode is we got to meet some really big, big inspirational uh, figures of ours and interview them for, for, for the episode. Uh, Chris Hadfield mm-hmm. uh, is in mm-hmm. the episode, as well as uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, so... 
was just that was that was a really big thrill for us. Um, and then also just exploring all these different connections, like Tyler touched on, and also the really big role of how NASA looks down at the Earth that we all too often forget about, and that they have this huge program uh, called the Earth Observing System, which is just the, the series of satellites that monitor the Earth from above and and are monitoring our changing water cycle and our changing climate. Mm. One of the uh, things, uh, specifically when you're talking about NASA there, that, that reminded me was sort of the, you know, people will sort of dismiss sometimes some of these concepts. Uh, so, oh, so scientists, they're biased for this or that. It's, they're kind of like, I mean, scientists are, are in, from my point of view, are kind of like the people who, everybody has bias, and there's nobody without bias, but they've sort of, they've spent their careers training the bias out of themselves. Can you comment just a little bit on sort of the, you know, you've you've worked with a number of different people, and you've, you've covered a range of topics. What, what sort of did you get what lessons did you learn do you think from people like at nasa and like neil degrasse tyson about sort of maybe the different approaches that they take from when you were maybe um you know in india talking to people that are coming more of that sort of from a faith point of view and sort of maybe some of the things you learned from those various sources well i think what we learned from nasa i guess i guess about what, what like our changing planet is that by looking at it from above from a satellite when you see it from a satellite and seeing the big picture a lot of these, you know, like a lot of a lot of these issues that you know here on the ground, it's very easy to misinform people and and create a denial or skepticism about, say, climate change. When you view it from above, there's no denying what's going on. I mean, if you just look at the the um, the topic of sea level rise, I mean, when you look at it from satellites, you can see globally the sea level is rising, and that can only happen from a warming planet because the sea level is completely tied uh, to the water cycle and to the ice caps. So it's undeniable. I mean, that just the fact that sea level is rising, you cannot deny that the planet's warming. Why it's warming, sure, maybe you can find some, some argument to make it seem like we're not responsible um, and, and sort of you know, lead people astray. But uh, yeah, yeah. With, when you look at it from above like that and you get that global data, then it's undeniable. That, that's, I think, the, the thing that stuck up most to me is that those undeniable facts when you look at it from above. And that I particular, think, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, that particular argument has always mystified me because, like, who cares whose fault it is? The fact is it's happening. Like, yeah. it's, it's so beside the point. But anyway, sorry. No, that's absolutely right. And I think that's, that sort of goes to what your, your question about the scientists. And uh, I think it's interesting because I think uh, just in our uh, experience in interviewing scientists a lot and talking to scientists uh, – you know, they're very – their opinions aren't set in stone. You know, they, they require facts and evidence, and if you can get the facts and prove certain things, they'll change their opinion. It's not an ideological thing where they're – I believe this, and, you know, it's very hard to change their mind. So, so maybe the general public, but scientists are very willing to take an open approach, and if you can make an argument and it can prove something – yeah, I'll change my mind. Yeah, maybe if someone can really prove that that climate change is not caused by humans, this, I think, and there was actually real data, the scientists would be open to that and, and explore that. But uh, so yeah, that would sort of how I would uh, answer that question about the, how the scientists sort of view these these facts and figures. Mm. And then I know from your from your uh, bio as well, Tyler, that your one of your favorite places listed was India. Whoever, so maybe coming back to to that area, you know, obviously we're getting into the Ganges and the sort of spiritual and emotional connection to the fact that, you know, it, it is such, it is the cause of life. We can't have life without it. So so maybe we could contrast that with, with some of your previous experience more with sort of on a, on a spiritual level, I guess, or just a connection to a sense of life and that sort of thing. 
Yeah, I mean, the, when we were our time in India was was a really incredible trip, an eye-opening trip to see how water uh, and environmental issues can be both, you know, a very spiritual aspect for people, but also a scientific uh, one as well. So it, it was. Um, it was sort of hard for me at first to sort of understand, like, how how could these people think this river is a goddess and it can't be polluted? I mean, anything can be polluted. But after speaking to people and especially sort of uh, religious figures uh, in India, um, it, it definitely broadened our perspective to see how, you know, water is life and you can easily make those connections to spirituality and, and how people sort of uh, think of uh, as a, an Indian, as the Ganges, as a goddess. Um, but then you also have to flip and say, well, if it is a goddess, you got to respect it more. You can't just think it's inv- she's invincible and you can do whatever you want. She'll be fine. So it, that's... For me, I think it's, it's like viewing water through those spiritual connections is a really fascinating subject because on the one hand, if you when you view water in that spiritual sense like you like like we saw in india um it can lead to problems where people truly believe it's a goddess it cannot be polluted but at the same time i think um in india like hindus also well this is an argument we make in the episode is that hindus see water in a sense that in, in a light that i think more people should uh learn to appreciate which is it is water that connects us all like that th- that is very much emphasized in, in in the culture and that we don't always see it that way like hindus do see that like this river is what connects them to their ancestors and to the future and and for all time and then that is something that we really need to appreciate here and i think in in, in first nations uh cultures in this country that's something that's really emphasized uh with water and the spiritual connection of water Water, and uh, we don't really see it that way. We, I, I don't think. I don't think we see it that way enough. And I think we can learn something from it. While we can all point fingers and say, "Oh, that's just foolish to, to think it could be polluted." There's a lot to that spirituality uh, viewpoint that that uh, that we need to uh, appreciate more. Going through some of the uh, the names of some of your episodes, even there. Uh, first of all, the first thing that jumped out at me was you guys must have a great time coming up with the puns for the episodes. <laughs> um, but be, as soon as I st- sort of stopped chuckling about that, I had one other thought, which was, I mean, here, I'll just I'll just list a few: uh, Carpageddon, uh, Valley of the Damned, Water in All the Wrong Places, The Pure and the Poisoned, Dead Zones, No wom- No Water, No uh, No Woman, No Water. Uh, here comes the flood. I, I mean, I've listed basically half of the names here: farmed and dangerous, uh, Bottlegate. I mean, pretty much without exception. Um, while there is definitely a, a, a tone taken to, and and we commented on this the both times that I've had you on previously, that I, one of the things I really enjoyed about the way that you guys do this was you you do balance sort of education and just sort of having an, a good adventure. Uh, at the same time, but would you would you just comment on that sort of you know under underlying it all is this sense of we've got some pretty serious problems and they're kind of urgent and this is kind of really important. And, you know, despite the sort of flavor that you put on it, at the end of the day, the, the meat of it is that there, we have some really serious issues and this is kind of really urgent. Um, can you just sort of maybe both comment on your perspective about that, that balance and then your feelings about that, that sense of urgency? How much trouble are we really in? Uh, well, I mean, for us, it's just really important to find, like, the humor or, like, the, the, like something positive to say about these issues because the, the, the it's not it, anyone could go out there and, and talk about all the things that are going horrible with this planet but it's it's being able to find the solutions and inspire people and and have a, like a humorous outlook to it like you, you won't be able to solve these these challenges they're just too daunting if you if you just look at them 
for a ne- through a negative light. But yes, we are facing some massive challenges. I mean, w- one of the episodes uh, we're doing in this season um, is about ocean acidification. And that's an issue that I don't think is really being talked about enough uh, here. And it's another another thing that's uh, like it's an undeniable aspect of climate change. It's just when you put CO2 in the atmosphere, a certain percentage of it gets uh, absorbed into the ocean. And then that changes the chemistry of seawater. <laughs> it's basic chemistry, how the seawater changes. I'm, I'm not going to go into it, but um, but uh, you, like that's just a, an is- an issue that just shows you how bad of a situation you're in, we're in because when you change the chemistry of seawater, you make it really difficult for anything with a shell uh, to build its shell. They get that from calcium carbonate in the water. And when you put too much CO2 in the water, it interrupts the ability of a shelled organism to take those molecules, those calcium carbonate molecules, and build its shell. Um, so what's happening right now with the ocean, it's become 30% more acidic. Uh, than it was before the Industrial Revolution. And um, scientists are already finding that it's making it difficult for a number of different organisms to build their shells. So, like, this could lead to an extinction of marine life on a scale we've never seen before in human history. And we know that it can happen because it's happened in the past um, during a, a mass extinction event or, or, or one of the mass extinction events. And it's just a, a, another another way that we're repeating uh, what's happened in this planet before us, and uh, except this time it's, it's caused by us. Uh, so it's, we are in the midst of a sixth mass extinction, and that, that's been something that has been uh, thrown around out there a lot, but that's something that, I mean, just in our travels, I mean, we encounter all the time. So when you're talking about something like a mass extinction, it's bad news. Like the, and the, the, so you have to find some way to, to, to look at things through a positive light because you, if you just tell people, oh, like it's just all, you know, all this, it's all just going to be a mass extinction. We have no hope. I mean, no one's going to be inspired to, to change things. And the, I think what we try and show uh, in our program is that there is reason for hope. Like it really is not too late to tackle a lot of these different issues like climate change or ocean, ocean acidification or overfishing, the loss of biodiversity. Uh, so, yeah, there is there is still time, not much, but, you know, we we know the solutions. I mean, if there's anything to be positive about is like like we like we show is like there are, the solutions exist. It's just about inspiring people and getting people to understand that the situation we're in. And it's yeah. And again, it's, it's one of those things where we just really got to have fun with it because otherwise people will just turn it out. And, you know, when I when we're approaching these these different episodes, I think one of the things we do a lot is, you know, I try to envision my, you know, 16 or 17 year old self in science class and, you know, the teacher rolls out the video, you know, the, the VCR player uh, and, and, you know, puts in, you know, some Nova thing. And, you know, most of the time they're they're definitely educational, but they're a little boring. You know, oh, you may fall asleep. So we want to make sure that when if science teachers are using our videos in their classrooms or, or whatever, that the, that the kids are actually going to have fun and want to watch. So we sort of approach it. We want to go on an adventure and we want to take you, the viewers with us and have fun and let's learn some things and let's show you a show everyone that there is hope and there are solutions available and that it, all it takes is just a little bit of effort on people's parts to just change little things in their daily lives their little routine um, and that that can actually make a big difference if we all if we all do these little things yeah this is this is reality TV this is the real this is like the actual reality of the, the planet we live in and what's TV. going on it's this is <laughs> yeah so this is the real reality TV that's that's what we like to think of it as <laughs> 
Uh, we had a we did a really fascinating interview um, about six months ago with a, a gentleman um, that, that does uh, video games actually, and we and we had a really interesting conversation about a sort of like gamification and about how using things we know about entertainment to sort of incentivize uh, people self directed learning and and actively seeking out information because you sort of gamify the system. Do, do you want to comment on just sort of that comment from the point of view that like sometimes I feel just from myself and the reason I'm where I'm, my question is coming from is that sometimes for me it feels a little bit depressing that we have to sort of put the pill inside a strawberry and that people should care. But at the same point, I sort of understand like, you know, there's a lot to worry about and sort of, you know, uh, you know, so just where, where do you fall on that? Does it, does it sort of, is it disappointing to you that you sort of have to make it entertaining for people to care or, or do you think that that's just part of the deal and you're, and you're sort of happy to do that? Where do you fall on that? I'd say it's just something you have to do nowadays. There's so much media. It's hard to grab people's attention. There's it's just, you know, it's it's. I'm sort of included in that. There's so many distractions. I mean, I love to play video games, and uh, you know, sometimes I like to tune out, tune out these, <laughs> to not think about uh, all the issues that we make documentaries about. So yeah, I think it's just it's just part of the the media landscape now is that you have to really work hard to grab people's attention, and and uh, I think if if that helps get it to more people um, by making it more sort of edutainment, uh, so to speak, that yeah, that's 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 fine. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot more room for for programs like this that look at this type of subject matter. I mean, there's no shortage of of, of big global environmental issues we need to tackle, and only by having an informed an informed and educated public, you know, can we hope to see the change that we want in in government. I think you know. Part of the reason why we don't see a lot of action on the federal level in this country on 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 issues like like climate change or or protecting our ocean. I mean, like it's because I, I think not not enough people understand the scale of the problem that we're facing. And people might seem like might think that we're already inundated with some of these stories, but the truth is is that un, until we start seeing the change we need. Uh, there, there should we should need we need more we need more inundation in the media la- media landscape on these issues. I mean, like the like the the simple fact that Canada only protects one one point two percent of its ocean. I mean, that's just pathetic. Um, yet, I, I I would you could go out on the street today, and I'm sure most people would say, oh yeah, I'm, I think Canada protects its ocean, or I, I think I think Canada is a leader in environmental issues when in in reality we. We're not. So I, I think there's a long way for this, this country to go if we want to be leaders. And I, I think that we should be we should be global leaders in environmental protection. And right now we're setting a really bad example for the world. So, yes, and the only way to change that is to get widespread public knowledge and education about these issues and, and the science behind them so that they can, you know, have a voice and, and, and encourage the change that we need. So we're uh, we're running tight on time, but I want to give you guys uh, one sort of final opportunity to. Uh, we've talked about we talked a little bit about season three upcoming. Um, also, feel free uh, one of you to plug in when uh, people will start being able to to see those coming out uh, in your answer. But I, I sort of just want you know we talked about the season three that's coming out. We've talked a little bit about your history, and, and we sort of delved into to environment theory there for a minute for a couple of minutes. Um, let's talk applied. Uh, what can people be doing besides obviously tuning into every one of your programs? Um, <laughs> what can people be doing? What should they be? What should they be looking at? If people are sitting at home saying, "Great, I want to do stuff about water," where should they be going? What should they be looking at? What can they do? Well, uh, well, I would say a good a good place to start is what you eat. Um, uh, an issue we look at a lot is overfishing, and that's something I think more people need to be uh, <laughs> conscious about. 
the seafood they're eating and where it's coming from. Um, like the episode we did uh, in this upcoming season, The Least Deadliest Catch. I mean, w- w- one of the big revelations in that episode is that Canada has lots of amazing, very sustainable fisheries in this country. Yet because the, the general public is is, I know, uh, is not really concerned about where their seafood comes from, most of that high-quality, sustainable seafood is being exported. Actually, the vast majority, something like 90% of our seafood gets exported. And that's good. I mean, like, this is a, a really important source of revenue for this country. But, like, we're sending so much of our best stuff overseas, and we're importing, like, farmed shrimp from Vietnam and just, like, putting bad stuff into our bodies uh, that, like, we could be getting way better quality trap caught shrimp from both sides of the country. Uh, so that that's one area. So it's, it's it's just, like, whatever you put into, like, think twice about where it was from and, like, um, you know, uh, what what is it packaged in? Uh, plastic pollution is another issue that we, that we talk a, about a lot in, in the show and, and, and when we go out and do, do public speaking engagements. So, like, any way you can reduce your consumption of single-use plastic waste, that's another really big one. Yeah, everyone should everyone should have to carry a reusable water bottle or a reusable coffee mug. I know that we do that. Uh, and I think another really important thing is just to share your ideas and stories. I mean, we were talking earlier about how we're going to see this global change that we really need is just through global awareness, making everyone aware of these issues and have them caring about it. And the only way you can do that is if you talk about it. If we start sharing our ideas, the things that we do in our, in our home, you know, little when we, we talk to a lot of school kids and we say, you know, bring reusable, your lunch in a reusable bag it's, uh, or, or pack your lunch in, you know, sort of Tupperware reusable containers. So just lots of little small things. Share your ideas, you know, and, and if you see people doing something wrong, don't maybe call them out in a bad way, but say, hey, you know, have you thought about this? There's things you can do to, you know, reduce your impact on the environment. So it's just sharing, getting that knowledge out there, and, and, and I think that's what's going to uh, help us get to where we need to be. And and most importantly, vote. I mean, absolutely. like, we need leadership in this country if we're going to see the big widespread change. I mean, we could talk about riding your bike and taking a reusable b- water bottle with you wherever you go. That's great, but you know, if if we really want to see the change we need and and, and at this pace we need it, it's it's we need more participation. And I think that especially especially young people need need to be way more engaged uh, politically. And I, I always hate to go into politics, but it, that's inevitably where I, I I always think about when when we um, when we talk about the big solutions we need. So. Yeah, that that's that's what I would say is number one. Um, followed closely by some of the other tips we just gave, and and watch the show. Yeah, watch, watch the, the show. show obviously, is, uh, that's number one. <laughs> yeah, and then go vote. Yeah, okay. watch the show, vote, <laughs> and uh, think about what you put in your body, and try not to use plastics. Yeah, though that's four good ones. If you if you do all those, and and think about how you get from place to place. That's number five, just to make it a nice top five list. There you go, top five by Alex and Tyler Mifflin, the Water Brothers from TVO. Thank you so much for coming to the studio and joining us. It's always a pleasure to see you guys. Uh, last thing before you go, would you please just let us know uh, when we can approximately expect season three? April twenty fifteen is when it's going to be coming out. Yes, uh, we're th- it, it looks like it could be sort of Earth Week that that time frame. Uh, we'll say. know soon. Check on the website; it, it'll be up there. Uh, it'll, as soon as we know, it'll be up there. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. And we'll have links to all that stuff uh, on the show post as well today. Thank you so much for coming in, guys. Really appreciate it. Our pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having us. All right, so we're going to go now to our f- second and final music break here on the Green Majority at CIUT 89.5. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The Green Majority is now looking for members. If you want to help contribute to the content of the show and can spare as little as a dollar a month or more, head over to the greenmajority.ca website and look for the Support Us button to get involved. 
Let me bring you songs from the woods To make you feel much better than you could know Better than you could Dust know Dust you down from tip to toe Dust you down from tip to toe Show you how the garden grows Show you how the garden Hold grows Hold you steady as you go Hold steady as you join the chorus if you can It'll make of you an honest man Let me bring you love from the fields Poppies, red and roses filled with summer rain To heal the wound and still the pain The threatens again and again As we drag down every lover's lane Life's long celebrations here I'll toast you all in many cheer Let me bring you all things refined Gallyhides, lit song, served in chilling ale Greetings from my fellow hail I am the winter filly sail I am the cross to take your nail A singer of these ageless times With kitchen prose and gutter All right, and we are back here on the Green Majority, CIUT 89.5 FM. Man, I always love having Alex and Tyler come into the show because they are so excited all of the time. Man, what a great conversation. We're, we're, we always try and have them back as often as possible. Definitely check out the show if you haven't seen it before. Uh, we do now have Kevin Farmer in the studio who's going to give us some comments. Kevin, I wanted to start you off with one thing, if I may, really quickly. Uh, which was, uh, and I think you saw it, I think you favorited it, but, but uh, 350, the uh, .org, the, 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 the mothership, as it's sometimes referred to, the larger organization, not our, not our friends at the Toronto chapter, um, put out a meme photo, if you will, of a quote from Senator Tom Harkin from the U.S. Senate very recently. And wow. So maybe we'll start with this. The quote on, on the picture, this is uh, Senator Tom Harkin from the uh, U.S. of A., Every dollar, quote, every dollar that we spend on fossil fuel development use is another dollar we spend digging the graves of our grandchildren, and I'm not going to be a part of it anymore. I'm through. Damn. He is not messing around. That is, damn. Those are some harsh, harsh words. Does that make you feel better, Kevin, or are we fine then? (laughs) Uh, No, of course we're not fine. It's snowing in uh, Buffalo, so... Uh, global warming is over. Uh, oh, I forgot. I forgot my <laughs> other one. Just before, sorry, before I go to you, which was the uh, the the Stephen Colbert sent out a great one. Which that was, was beauty. It's yeah. cool. It was, I, I'm paraphrasing now. The the first one I read. This one I'm paraphrasing. What? But it was basically like it's cold today, so no more global warming. And also, by the way, I solved world hunger by eating lunch. Yeah, world, world hunger is over because I ate. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that was a powerful statement. And uh, I mean, uh, both both the first one with gravitas and the second one with humor. Those are very powerful statements. Uh, what just fascinates me all the time is that you, you can you can still find like Senator James Inhofe saying this is the greatest hoax ever conceived, and this issue has become you know I've read studies about this. This is con- now considered to be a more contentious issue in the states than abortion, uh, and it's just a kind of a shocking uh, statement of how polarized opinion is 
on something that is essentially an established scientific fact. Uh, and that's kind of a remarkable transformation of the public discourse uh, in, in today's society. Facts are now uh, up for discussion and everyone's suddenly a PhD in climatology. But, you know, every, everyone is, is debating science now online like they know anything about it. And I can't imagine any other discipline that's subject to so much armchair quarterbacking that, you know, like oncology, who's, who's debating, you know, uh, necrosis factors and <laughs> other things that are relevant to necrology, but suddenly everyone's a media, uh, a climatologist. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so, okay. So we're, we're pressed for time. We got a topic request from a listener and that's great um, to talk about um, essentially corporate propaganda on environmental issues. And that's a great topic. Uh, I had a weirdly busy week. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have enough time to give it, you know, a, a proper treatment. And actually, we don't even have enough time left in the show, even if I had. But I'll try to get to this. Uh, we, we love hearing from people. We have no idea if anyone's even listening. So it's very exciting to find out that they are. And um, Oh, sorry. If I can do a really quick plug. Um, it, I actually just added an endorsement section to our website. So we get, you know, we get fan mail from time to time. But if you'd like to leave a comment about, uh, you know, hey, you think we're doing a good job, uh, I would really help us out if you made it in public. So please, that uh, we'll take that as a plug to go to greenmajority.ca. There's a little button that says uh, love on it. And if you click that, you can leave us a nice little note. And it helps uh, let us know that people are listening. Uh, yeah, and, and just for to to add to that, um, <clears throat> Darren takes these things very seriously. He takes feedback very, very seriously, including the critical stuff. Uh, and and uh, for what it's worth, Darren and Stefan are very interactive people. Uh, I'm just a crotchety old man. I'm likely to yell at you to get off my lawn and stop throwing your frisbee over my fence. But uh, <laughs> but, but these guys are nice. Um, and, and Darren absolutely takes feedback very, very seriously. Um, okay, so last week I, I actually I talked a little bit about palm oil and encourage people to boycott it wherever possible, which is not like me. I don't like the vote with your wallet solution. Um, and I think I didn't actually mention really what the problem with palm oil is. Uh, I read so much, I think things are self-evident um, that might not be. And the problem, there's many, many problems, but writ large, the problem is that we're burning down irreplaceable rainforests so we can grow a cheap vegetable oil. And uh, this stuff is ubiquitous now. It's in it's in all kinds of consumer products, m- mainly food. Uh, takeout and fast food, in particular, use this a lot because it's it's inexpensive, and it's inexpensive because we don't add we don't attach any cost to burning down rainforests. You know what that means to local communities, indigenous people, uh, what it means to lose, to, what it means to release all that carbon into the atmosphere while simultaneously destroying a carbon sink, which a forest is. Forests uh, on 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 land surfaces. Forests are like the coral reefs of of, of the land. They're, they're they house the most biodiversity on the planet. Certainly, rainforests house even for forest systems house more uh, biodiversity. Uh, so there's a lot wrong with this. Um, and you can take action uh, by going to the Rainforest Action Network and Some of Us, which is an online sort of petition agency uh, where it's spelled Some is spelled S U M. Uh, some of us, and I, I, I mentioned this last week, and I still haven't had a t- chance to double check, but I'm pretty sure Forest Ethics is also advocating against uh, uh, this palm oil business. So anyway, you can learn a lot about this. It's uh, a great idea. Uh, and you know, since I don't really have much of my own content this week, I'm going to shamelessly plug other people's content. But this is good, Woo! yeah, because it turns out uh, Global's. Um, uh, I guess it's an investigative, I don't know if it, if it, I guess it's investigative journalism segment called 16 by 9. I guess that's the proper way to characterize it. 
uh, tomorrow, November the 22nd at 7 p.m. on uh, where, whatever channel Global is for you, the, uh, the, uh, the show 16 by 9 is airing a segment called Contamination Nation. Now, this, this is, that's tomorrow if you're listening to this live. And if you're not, uh, this announcement will come too late to see it uh, airing uh, live. But they stream, they stream this content online. So if you go to, uh, uh, I think it's just globalnews.ca, you should be able to find this episode online. Anyway, Contamination Nation, this is a story I've been reading about for years. Um, and it, it, uh, the, I'm not going to give away any punchline by pointing out that um, you know, one of the major environmental uh, considerations for this story is that a gold mine that's been operating there in Yellowknife for decades um, has, uh, has extracted about 200 tons of gold in about 50 years and has left behind, among other things, over 200,000 tons of arsenic trioxide. Uh, one, this, this is an extremely toxic compound. One uh, person interviewed for the show uh, comments that this is probably enough arsenic trioxide to kill every single person on Earth several times over, which isn't going to happen. That would require a very efficient uh, <laughs> delivery vehicle. <laughs> um, but it just, it just puts it into context how seriously toxic this stuff is. Um, now, the issue, aside from that, um, is that uh, it, I, don't, I don't expect that this has always been the same mining company that has owned this mine. But whatever mining company owned it last is no longer around. So there's 200, more than 200,000 tons of this phenomenally toxic material. Uh, they, who, the mine itself, the, the value of all the gold that was extracted was only about $2.7 billion only, he says. Um, but the cost now that we, we will incur as a society to sequester uh, this, the, 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 the toxic compounds that have been left behind, it's going to cost us a cool billion to, to, um, to do what's being proposed to essentially neutralize this material or impound it. I guess the proper word is to impound it. So it's going to cost us a billion dollars to impound this stuff. Uh, plus, it, and, and we will have to maintain that impoundment to the tune of about $2 million a year. Yay, job creation. I, I'm assuming, I'm just going to jump ahead to the end here. I'm assuming that this company paid over a billion dollars in taxes, and therefore this was a net <laughs> benefit to the Canadian people, right? Yeah, because that, that always happens. Um, ah, yeah. So, so, you know, I mean, there, there it is. In a, in a nutshell, there it is. Um, you know, I don't know how much, how many pro, how much in profits were involved, but uh, $2.7 billion in revenue were generated. And a cost of a billion dollars was externalized. It was generated. Somebody somebody profited privately from that, and a, a billion dollar cost has been externalized to society. Uh, plus, there's this weird concept that every time we do this, the notion is we have to impound the toxic waste in perpetuity. It, we we our theory, like with the with the Mount Pauli disaster in BC, is that you know all of these. Um, you know, in that case, it was a, you know, a, a tailings lake. I don't want to call them ponds anymore. Uh, you know, we, we have this notion that the mining companies are going to walk away from these, uh, these waste sites. And we're, society, uh, future generations are going to maintain the impoundments forever. And so here's the thing. You know, I was going to recommend that people watch this because it's kind of a microcosm of what's going wrong in the world. Then I realized this isn't a microcosm at all. This is the world. In Canada alone, there's like 22,000 similar sites. Maybe not as bad as this one, but how bad do they have to be when you start multiplying them by 22,000? And that's just Canada, where we probably enjoy greater environmental protections than the vast majority of companies in the world. 
and uh, just be it's a and and there, there would just be no story. No story of the the dangers of mining would be complete without pointing out that this has also involved decades of abuse of, of First Nations people, the the, the Dene First Nations community that is uh, local to that area, uh, and and who are suffering the effects of of having their environment uh, poisoned by this. Uh, so anyway, watch this show. It's a really good topic. Um, I, I've seen some previews of it. It seems like uh, Global is giving sixteen by nine is giving a great treatment. And like I said, uh, it's not an, it's not even instructive as a microcosm anymore. Th- this is reality. Thousands upon thousands of these sites around the world, and we're just waiting for all of this stuff to leach out. In the case of this one, if if some flooding were to were to release, you know, significant portions of this uh, 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 arsenic trioxide into the environment, that would just be an absolute catastrophe. And the last two things I want to plug. If you want to kind of laugh and feel terrible at the same time. <laughs> um, <laughs> how did you know, Kevin? How which, did you know? Yeah, which is how I view every episode of Family Guy in South Park uh, <laughs> that I've ever watched. I laugh and kind of hate myself at the same time. But, uh, so so two, a week ago Wednesday, the November 12th episode of The Daily Show is a very funny and very painful takedown of, of the illegal poaching of elephants. Um, I highly recommend this. They give it a superb factual treatment with a heavy dose of irony. And you might as well laugh. <laughs> uh, you might as well have some fun while you learn about this. And the other one is that last night, quite by accident, I wasn't the, um, the, the November 20th episode of The Daily Show just did a savagely funny takedown of the little bit of political theater that went on in the U.S. Senate over the Keystone XL pipeline vote. Uh, so it, not only was it just savagely funny, but it was also a really a really good uh, explanation of of what was going on with with that vote. And I'll try to I'll try. Thanks again for the feedback to whomever did that. And I will I will definitely try to 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 give uh, corporate propaganda a decent treatment as soon as I get some time. Absolutely. And just as the, in the final seconds here of the show, there's uh, three specific things we've re- the site that is always. Uh, uh, would be nice if people took a look at it if they're interested. One of them I already mentioned, which was uh, you can now uh, leave us a, a nice comment in a section under a tab called Love, because we want your love, uh, which is uh, greenmajority.ca slash endorsements, or you can just go to greenmajority.ca and look for that tab. Uh, there's also a help, help, help Us Improve, where we've got some surveys on there to help improve our content. Uh, we also have a section uh, now called Why We Exist, which I'm collecting examples in the media or stories covering uh, basically, the media doing a really bad job. <laughs> so good reporting covering bad reporting, which is uh, greenmajority.ca slash the problem. And then we also have a campaign going on right now as well, where there's some info and you might even be able to win a prize, which is at uh, greenmajority.ca slash buy less crap. <laughs> so if you get lost or any of those or if you or if I was talking too fast or I missed it, it, it all should be fairly obvious if you go to greenmajority.ca. That is all the time we have for this week on the show. Thanks very much to all our guests and to Kevin once again for providing his insightful and amusing comments. Uh, we're off to see everybody next week. Have a good green week, folks, and see you soon. <laughs>